Well, thank you. It's a great time of worship already this morning. This morning, we're going to take a look at two instructions, uh, and they're related in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, first of all, I want to um, do a little, I don't know, it's not really a test, but it's a it will maybe reveal some things in our hearts before we get going. Uh, I'm going to name for you either a position of someone in authority or the actual name of someone who's currently in authority. I don't want you to say anything out loud, but just think to yourself, what is your instinctive gut reaction? So we'll start easy enough. Uh, police officer. Teacher. Principal. Maybe now a little bit harder. Parking meter attendant. Ugh. That person's in authority. What about city councilor? Mayor. How about father? Depending on your experience, you're going to have different responses. How about mother? Member of Parliament. What about Premier Kathleen Wynne? Or Prime Minister Justin Trudeau? How about President Donald Trump? He doesn't have direct authority over us in Canada. I mean, this is just a little example, right? Just a variety of different positions and people that God has placed in authority. And one thing about our culture is this. It's not easy for us in our culture to honor the men and women who are placed in authority over us. We, in fact, the very system of government that we, that we live in and then the culture that has increasingly developed around us is one of cynicism, one of skepticism, one of often disrespect, not one of honoring and respect. And so it's hard for us. It's hard. We are naturally bent toward not honoring those who are over us. I think that that is as old as the fall. Uh, you go back to, to the first generation. Was it easy for the first generation of sinful humanity to submit to and to honor father and mother? No, it's never been easy. Perhaps you can remember a time in your life, regardless of what your relationship with your mom and dad is now, when it wasn't very easy, maybe it's still not easy, to respect, to submit to, to honor your mother and your father. And yet, God knows that unless we are able to submit to and to honor those who have been placed in authority over us, societies fall apart. Governments crumble. Churches are dysfunctional. And so this, this idea that we must honor, submit, respect those who God has put over us is extremely important for the healthy functioning of family, society, and church. Today, what we're going to see is that the Bible gives us very clear instruction about giving appropriate honor to those who have been entrusted with authority in the church. 
And, and this is kind of awkward, right? I mean, I've been entrusted with authority over this local church. And yet it falls to me to remind us that we must give honor to those whom God has entrusted over us, whether it be in the family, in the society, or in the case of this text this morning, in the church. I'll just remind you that these are not my words, that I must submit to these words as we all must submit to these words. And uh, there's no authority in me, myself, as a man, but the authority resides in Christ Jesus himself who saved us, and that Christ Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, has given us this instruction. So let's take a look at this instruction. Would you please stand as you're opening your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to read verses 17 to 25. 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 25. These are the words of God. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. But as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. The words of God, instructions of Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we pray that as we reflect on your gospel and all that you've done for us, that you would equip and empower us to know how we ought to behave in the household of God, and then give us the grace to implement these instructions. I pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to see why it is we are to honor elders who rule well. I pray for your special grace over me as I am the one who has been commissioned to deliver this message, though I labor in preaching and teaching and are subject to this instruction. I pray that you would glorify yourself, that you would build up your church, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Instruction 11 then is right out of the text here, verse 17, let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. If we're going to keep this instruction, we have to understand, well, what, what in the world is double honor? Uh, well, it means to honor two times. In two different ways. And the word honor itself, the semantic range includes both to be of material benefit to, which we saw last week in our instruction that we are to help those who cannot help themselves. And the example given in the text was it widows. We are to honor true widows. We are to be of material benefit to true widows. Likewise, we are to be of material benefit to elders who rule well. The second thing that it means, and we're going to look at these a little bit more deeply, is to 
give proper respect to. So just as it may be a challenge when a, a needy person, someone who cannot help himself or herself, comes into the church, in, in, our, in our flesh, and our sinful tendencies, it may be more difficult for us to honor in a respectful way someone as bearing the image of God as someone who comes together and doesn't need our help. We can look down on somebody. And the Bible says don't do that. Well, the same connotation is true of elders, that we are to pay proper respect to elders who rule well. Let's take a look at these two in a little bit more order. First of all, to honor by being of material benefit to. And in mind here is really to, to give wages to an elder who is vocationally ruling and teaching in the church. Take a look at verse 18. For the scripture says... You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So, so Paul here gives a rationale. He says in, in verse 17, the instruction, let elders who rule well be worthy of double honor. Then he clarifies, so you want to elder, honor all elders twice, but especially, so in a special way, those who devote themselves to preaching and teaching, or those who labor in preaching and teaching. And, and what Paul has in mind here is not a lay elder, not somebody who has a full-time job. In Paul's case, he was a tent maker, and he was also an apostle. He's thinking of someone more like Timothy, perhaps, who doesn't have another job. Someone like me. I don't have another job. I, my job is to labor in preaching and teaching but I still have to provide for my family. And, and so what this instruction says, which we already sort of take for granted, is that a church is to pay vocational pastors, vocational elders, those who are given to the ministry of the word of God. And, and he says, this is in keeping with the scriptures. And he goes back to the Old Testament law, and he says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now that's interesting. If we were just to come across that in the book of Deuteronomy, we may say, well, what does that have to do with us? Well, it has a lot to do with me. I may not be an ox. I try to become a little bit stronger by going to the gym, but I'm not an ox, but I must be fed. And as I'm treading out the grain, that is, while I'm doing my job, laboring and preaching and teaching, I mustn't be muzzled. I need to be able to eat. I must be able to feed my family, and so you must pay me. That, that is to honor, to be of material benefit too. And I am so blessed to be the pastor of this church. You know, there's sort of a, a running joke when you go to pastor's conferences about how poorly pastors are paid. Uh, and just as, uh, I think I can say this because I'm paid well here. If a paycheck reflects in some way the value that we put on the work being done, what are we saying to our pastors? When we say, well, I think after we pay for the building, after we pay for ourselves and everything else, we have a little bit left over for you. That, that doesn't really communicate to the pastor very well. Now, that's not a problem for me because I, I am paid well, and I want to thank you. I want to take this opportunity to thank you for honoring me by providing for me so that I can provide for my family. And we're not in want. We have a comfortable life, and I feel valued not just by the paycheck, but by the love that we share with one another. But that's the first thing it means. Uh, the first way that we honor elders is that we give them their wages. We pay them. Now, what about our lay elders, elders that have another job? 
And we have two of them here. Are we supposed to pay them? I wonder from time to time if an honorarium, see the word, if an honorarium is not in order to honor our elders by being of material benefit too. Because it says, it doesn't say only those who labor in preaching, teaching. It doesn't say only vocational elders, but it says honor your elders. And especially those who don't have another job. But if your elders are ruling well, if they're make, uh, using their time sacrificially for the good of the church, perhaps there comes the right time and the right place for an honorarium to be extended. Now, I didn't ask them if I could say that. But I think it's in keeping with the text that I ought to say that on their behalf. The second way that we honor elders who rule well, and especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, is to honor by extending proper respect. In the introduction to this instruction, I, I just went through a list of, of people and positions. And I don't know what your experience was as I went through that list. If there was one or two or three that you said, you know, it's not easy for me to honor and respect that individual or that position. And what I want to just highlight and help us to see is that is a, a cultural norm to be resistant of authority, to oppose those who are over us, to disrespect those who have some authority over our lives. And I would argue that that same principle has filtered into the church. Not always, but from time to time. Is it not difficult to honor your elders, to respect them? They who teach you the word of God. They who are given to oversight of your souls. Isn't it easy, you know, just between you and the Lord, in an unguarded moment to gather together in a place unheard, unseen, and say some things? To allow bitterness or resentment or opposition to rise up in our hearts? I know it's true. And let me just say, I wasn't always an elder. I wasn't always a pastor. Uh, and I too have experienced resentment and opposition and resistance to those who have been given spiritual oversight over my soul. So I've been there. I know how easy it is to fall into that. I've gossiped against my pastor before. In subtle ways, I've organized against my pastor before. These are things that I have since repented of and gone to that man and shared with him, things that he may or may not have known and said, look, this is what I did, this is what I said, this is how I felt, this is how I behaved, would you forgive me? So, so I can put myself on the other side and in an honest moment, maybe this has never happened to you. Maybe it has. So I just submit that to you. Why should we then respect pastor, the preacher, the elders of the church. Why? They're just men. They're sinful men. They make mistakes. They're not always right. That's true. And, and, and I think there's a good opportunity to remind you that uh, aside from the very practical need for someone to lead, someone to have the last word on any matter of doctrine, uh, that the elders of the local church don't have any authority in and of themselves. I have no authority in and of myself up here to tell you how you ought to live, to tell you how you ought to behave, to tell you how you ought to feel, to tell you how you ought to think. 
the authority does not reside in me. The authority does not reside in the elders. The authority is in Christ. Now, now this is why it's serious. It is Jesus Christ, the head of the church, who has all authority. Uh, Before he ascended up into heaven, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been entrusted to me. Not to your pastor, not to your elders, but to Christ, the crucified and risen Lord. Here's the thing, though. This same Christ has appointed elders over every local church. And he has commissioned elders to have oversight to teach the word of God, to lead the church. It's the same authority that Christ gives to husbands. It's the same authority that Christ gives to fathers. It's not that a husband has any authority in and of himself, or a father has any authority in and of himself, but as Christ's representative, a father, a husband, a pastor, and elders must exercise headship under Christ, which is to represent Christ. And therefore, when we don't respect father or husband or pastor or elders, we're not respecting Christ. And that's not to confuse the man with the Savior. I'm not Christ. Neither are your other elders. But we've been commissioned by him, and we will have to give an account. I just want to remind you of who we are to honor, elders who rule well, those who you can see that they are implementing the scriptures, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. I want to say something that It could come off as self-serving, but that's not the intention. Uh, I did my undergraduate degree in political science. And then I did two master degrees in theology and a PhD in theology. All my masters and my PhD, they were in biblical studies. Uh, Exegesis of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, was where I focused. Now... I have learned through experience that the two things that everyone feels that they are permitted to be an expert in is religion and politics, which means that all of my education is for nothing, (laughs) right? Like you are all as equally studied as I am in politics and religion. At least that's how it feels uh, in in the world in which we live. I mean, I go to family functions, it's the same thing. Uh, And so these are two very controversial realms in which everyone says, you know, I'm an expert. I'll tell you something about my studies. The more I studied, the more I realized I don't know. And in fact, rather than puffing me up and making me arrogant, it had the opposite effect. It chastised me and humbled me to realize, wow, here's all this education and I feel further behind than when I first started. Now, add to that over a decade of vocational Bible study. I give myself, I devote myself to the study of God's Word. That doesn't guarantee I'm going to get it right. Okay? I'm constantly going to have to grow in my understanding. And God will give you insights that totally went over my head or to the side. 
And when you can bring those insights to me, I hope what you'll find is, is a humble man ready to grow in, in my understanding of the scriptures. Give you an example of this. Uh, this week, I asked him if I could say this. Our brother Yosef came to me. I had, you know, probably about 45 minutes that I could give to him. And we knew that, so we set the alarm. But he expressed to me that he was up till 2.30 in the morning studying the Bible. And that he came across something that he just wasn't uh, grounded in. And he wasn't resolved in, especially as it related to the teaching in our small group and from the pulpit. And so that 45 minutes stretched into two and a half hours. Because I honored the work that he did as he honored the work that I've done. And we just sat there and we went through the scriptures word by word, line by line. We went back to the Greek when we had to. And we labored together. You know what I saw in, in Yosef was a humble man, a submissive man who came to me with an insight. And it was, it was so wonderful. And we labored together. So when I say, when I, when I bring up my education and my my training, my time spent in the Bible. It's not to say don't ever come to me or challenge me. But it is to say this. Maybe consider for a moment, as Yosef did, and I could tell in his approach, that I've thought about it. I've done some work in this passage. I've maybe thought about it for years and years more than you have. It doesn't mean don't come, but come with the right posture and I promise you, when God has given you an insight that I had not seen, I will embrace it and then I will preach it. But let's start with a position not of opposition, not, not of clashing, not of attack, but of respect. I respect the work that you've done on this. Now, I've had this insight, and I'm not quite sure if I agree with where you've gone there. Could we talk about it? And what you're going to find is a man who's overjoyed to do that with you in me. So the second thing, so to pay, honor your elders by paying them, honor your elders by giving them proper respect. Uh, I want to take a look at how this bears out, respect in the face of charges. So this has a practical application when it comes to uh, calling a, an elder on sin. Take a look at verses 19 through 21. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So this respect bears itself in this way. You give your elders the benefit of the doubt unless there's good evidence by two or three witnesses that he has actually sinned. But the, there's a correction on this or there's a balance on this, verses 20 and 21. However, you might read into there, as for those elders who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So the principle is this. Give your elders the benefit of the doubt. Don't start just leveling accusations against them. And, and the reason is this. In a culture where we don't respect 
men or women who have been put in authority over us, what happens is they become prime targets for all kinds of assault, all kinds of false accusations. And so we ought to respect our elders, understand that they have met the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. At least at some point, someone affirmed that they had and give them the benefit of the doubt, unless there's overwhelming evidence to the contrary. In which case, if you find that an elder is unrepentant, if you find that he is habitually falling into the same sin, if you see that he's persisting to sin in the same way, bring him in front of the church. Let everyone know what he has done, that the rest, that is the other elders, and the rest of the church may stand in fear and say, if a man who we are to afford double honor to is not above the law, not above the expectations of Christ and his church, then who is? And then we continue on and it says, uh, Paul knowing that, well, maybe elders don't want to bring fellow elders in front of the church. Maybe there's a man who's particularly well liked by the church and we feel it would do an injustice to the church or harm the church if we allowed everyone to see the sin that he was in. Paul says it doesn't matter. We're not talking about how much you like someone or how little you want to do this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and of the elect angels. This is serious, in other words. I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging and do nothing from partiality. That works both ways. Double honor for elders, those whom you like and don't like. But also, don't protect an elder who persists in sin, whether you like him or not. Do nothing from partiality. If the church is going to give elders a double honor, then the church must also be very careful who's appointed to the position. Which is why Paul recommends a slow appointment process for elders. And we're going to see in this next verse that it, everything that I said is true. We ought to honor our elders twice over. Therefore, elders must keep themselves pure because elders rise and fall together. Elders, therefore, must be slow in appointing other elders uh, because we're asking the church to honor these men. So take a look at verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. So this, do not be hasty. Don't be quick to lay your hands on. That is to appoint an elder. He goes, don't take part in the sins of others. And the whole idea there is that if, if it comes out that one elder has sinned, it taints the whole council of elders. The elders rise and fall together. Therefore, keep yourself pure. And the idea here is not just uh, live a pure life, but be careful who you appoint to the position of elders because a sinful elder will taint the purity of each of the other elders. Now, in response to this, Paul anticipates two questions. First of all, he knows that Timothy is a careful man. He knows that, that Timothy is prone to anxiety, which we'll see as we get into 2 Timothy. Uh, he also knows that Timothy, as all elders ought, has a hypersensitivity to uh, ungodliness and sinful behavior. Thus, Paul anticipates 
the verse 22 might agitate Timothy a little bit, as it ought to uh, agitate all elders. So he's saying, look, be slow to appoint more elders. Uh, don't share in the sin of others by appointing a sinful man to the eldership. Keep yourself pure. And then Paul anticipates two possible questions. The first one is, what do you mean, Paul, that I must keep myself pure? Could you, could you just give me a little more on that? That's the first question. Second question is, well, what if we miss something in the vetting process? And this is where the anxieties of Timothy would have been rising. And it is a fearful thing to add an elder to the council of elders. Let's take a look at these two questions. This will end our time in this instruction. Question number one, what do you mean that I should keep myself pure, Paul? Well, Paul answers to him. He says, well, what I don't mean is asceticism. Remember we talked about asceticism? What I don't mean is to uh, make your life miserable, to not enjoy the pleasures of life in this effort to, to make yourself pure. And that's what we see in verse 23. Don't just drink water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So I just said, keep yourself pure. I'm talking about being, be careful about who you add to the council of elders. I'm not talking about whether or not you have a glass of wine. I'm not talking about whether or not you enjoy that steak. I, I'm not talking about whether you enjoy the pleasures of life within the confines of, of righteous living. I'm talking about, be careful who you add to the council of elders. Have a little wine. That's not what I'm talking about, Timothy. That's the first question. He's not talking about asceticism. Second question that might rise in young Timothy's mind is, well, what if we miss something in the vetting process? Like, I want to be careful, but how can I know the thoughts of a man? How can I know everything that the man has done or will do? And Paul answers, it's bound to happen, Timothy. It's bound to happen that, that you're going to be as careful as you can be, and you're not going to catch everything. You, you'll maybe uncover some sins in the vetting process and not others. But do your best, continues Paul. Do your best to not only uncover the sin of a man, but do your best to uncover his positive qualities. The men that you're going to appoint to elders, make sure that they're men of good works. Then you'll be above reproach in the matter. Take a look at verses 24 and 25. He says, look, the sins of some people are conspicuous. That is, they're easy to see. They go before them to judgment. Paul might have in mind here the final judgment, or he might have in mind here the judgment of appointing a man to be an elder. I judge him qualified, and we're going to lay our hands on him. So the sins of some men are easy to see, and you'll spot them before you lay hands on them for judgment. I think that's, in, in the context, the best reading of this. It might be the final judgment. And, of course, there is a principle here that alludes to the final judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So once you lay your hands on a man, you make him an elder. The, that judgment has come and gone. He's ruling as an elder. And you're going to see some sin in his life, which is going to be true of every elder, by the way. The sins of some men are, you could tell before you appoint him after you there's going to be sins that come out in his life so do your best make sure he's above reproach as best as he, as you are able and then he goes on he says don't just look at the negative qualities don't just look for sin don't just be a sin hunter in his life all men are going to have some sin but focus in on the good works 
Verse 25. So also good works are conspicuous. Before you appoint a man, I hope you can see some good works in his life. I hope there's some fruit in his life that is causing you to consider him as a candidate. It's not just that he has a lot of money. It's not just that he's powerful out in the world. It's that you see the fruit of his salvation. Hope that you see some of that. And then he says, and even those, that is the good works that are not conspicuous or easy to see, they cannot remain hidden. What I understand Paul to be saying here is this. There's some men are more quiet. They serve behind the scenes. Do your due diligence to go out there and Look for his good works. Uncover the good things that he's doing. When you find a man who's doing good things in secret, reveal them to the church, lay your hands on him, and make him a leader and a teacher in the church. So instruction number 11 is this. Let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Be of material benefit to your vocational pastors. And give the respect do to elders. Don't treat them as above the church, but give them the benefit of the doubt. Trust that they've labored in understanding the word of God. Trust that they qualify unless there's overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Be slow to appoint these men, uh, but once you've appointed a man, give him the double honor that he is due. The church must be very careful in the appointment of elders, for a church can never rise above the quality of the men entrusted with oversight by Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray for the elders of this church. Help us to rule well, especially when we labor in preaching and teaching. May our words conform to your word. I pray for the church. It's not easy to honor anyone in our culture today. I pray that you would help us to learn what it means not just to honor the elders of this church, but to honor city councilors and police officers and teachers and principals, uh, to honor the mayor and the premier and the prime minister, to honor foreign heads of state. Because the world rises and falls uh, by your hand, and you have put men and women in place. No one arrives in a position of authority, but by your will. We thank you for this. In Christ's name, amen.